Good morning. Oh, yeah. Uh, my name is Jonathan, a.k.a. John John. I am one of the um, pastoral candidates here at the Brook. I am also the youth director here at the Brook. Um, if this is your first time, I want to welcome you to the Brook. Um, last week, we started off a series titled Wisdom 101, where as a church, we said, you know what? Let's look at what does it mean to practically and biblically pursue after the wisdom found in the book of Proverbs. So throughout the next few weeks, um, some of the pastors here are going to be diving into different topics and themes surrounded around the topic of wisdom. Last week, Pastor Chip, he kicked us off with Proverbs 25, an amazing message where he looked at, you know what, wisdom is loving in deed and in truth. And the reason why we do that is because ultimately that reflects Jesus, the ultimate wise one. Today I'm going to be in Proverbs 11:27. so if you have your Bibles, you can join me there. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I pray that you are glorified and that ultimately when we look at wisdom, that we look at it as just a pathway of knowing you more, that we don't just minimize it to understanding of knowledge and applied knowledge, but ultimately not, wisdom is pursuing after you, God. So be with me. I pray that my words can be your words, Lord. Just now pray. Amen. So Proverbs eleven twenty seven, and it reads like this. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. My goal for today is to essentially help us reframe the way we seek and see wisdom. I want to change the way we look at the approach of seeking after wisdom. A lot of times when we think about wisdom, we approach it as this game of acquire and application, meaning if I get the right information, if I'm watching the right podcasts, if I'm tapping into the right people on Instagram, and I just kind of apply that, that information right, then I'm wise, right? Now, there is a truth to that, but what I want to encourage you guys with today is that when we minimize wisdom to just acquire an application, we lose the depth that wisdom has in our life. Wisdom is not just for the, the varsity level believer or, not, or the super Christian, but ultimately wisdom is a pursuit after God and his likeness. Wisdom is not just pursuing after something that will give us a better outcome in life, but it's pursuing after God. The main point I want to leave you guys with today um, is that the call of wisdom is the pursuit of what is good, which ultimately is the pursuit of Christ. Wisdom is not just pursuit of principles, but it's a pathway to a person, specifically Jesus. When we pursue after the whole person of Christ, we're pursuing after God's attributes, which includes wisdom, right? As we look at this text, I want to highlight three themes or three ideas that we should think about when we're talking about pursuing after what is good and pursuing after wisdom. And ultimately, I want to wrap them back to the gospel and how Jesus should be the center. Before I do so, um, I think it's important that we highlight something when we're talking about wisdom. Um, it's important that we have a definition of what is good. See, what we define as good or what you define as your ultimate good will dictate how you approach the topic of wisdom. For example, a person whose fulfillment or ultimate good is found in 
self or pleasure of themselves may not find it wise to give time or money to somebody who can't give them anything back, right? Why would I give you anything? You can't give me anything back. Why would I give you money? Why would I give you my time? If it's not going to make me better, if it's not going to help me, if it's not going to make me feel better, why would I waste my time on you? Or a person whose greatest good in life is that everything we see here is all that we see. There's nothing after this. So then my greatest good is to just drink now and be married for tomorrow, I die, right? They're, to them, that is wise because their good is founded in something temporary. But for believers, our good is bound up in Christ, right? So when you approach a situation where you have to give something to someone or somebody's in need and they can't necessarily give it back to you, that's actually an opportunity to look wise, but really that's, that's an opportunity to reflect Christ because he did the same thing for us when he came and died for us. Right? He did the ultimate act of wisdom, pursuing after what is good, even though we couldn't repay him back. So at the end of the day, it matters about what you define as good. If you've been on Instagram or if you're on any type of social media, you may have seen this uh, one's got to go square. So it has uh, four kind of like topics, and it says, you know, one's got to go. I think Muchi, I talked about it earlier um, this year, and it was like um, it was like different actors, and then I think everybody decided Leonardo's got to go, and I was like, that's absurd. Leonardo's the goat, but that's a different conversation. Um, but I saw this one this morning, um, and I was like, wow, this is a no-brainer, right? We know which one's got to go. Toy Story. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. What really has to go? If we're really being honest, what has to go is Monsters Inc., right? If you disagree, you need prayer. Right? Everyone, it's, it's easy. First of all, the sequel wasn't even that good, right? That's where I would make the argument. So one of my favorites, though, on this, on this list is easily The Incredibles. Now, the reason why I say The Incredibles is, number one, because I would argue it has easily the most iconic line or scene ever in kids' movie history, right? You probably know which one I'm talking about. I look like the guy who said it. Um, in the scene, right, I'll paint it for you. In the scene, there's a character named Frozone. He is, <laughs> he is, you know, about to get ready to go on a date. He's an ex-superhero. He's about to go on a date with his girl. So he's in the mirror looking good, getting dapper, you know, ball fade, turtleneck, all that. And out of nowhere, boom, a monster attacks the city. So being the superhero that he is, he's like, you know what? I got a spring in the action. So he's like looking for his suit, right? You can't, have, you can't be a superhero, you don't have a suit. So he's looking for his suit, he's looking for his suit. And he asks his wife, he's like, yo, where's my suit? And he says the most iconic line ever, right? Kids be saying this to me, and I'm like, I'm not frozen. He goes, where's my super suit, right? And his wife goes, oh, I put it in the cleaners, you know, in the dryer, whatever. And he's like, what, where is it? I need it. And she's like, why do you need it? And he goes, it's for the greater good. And she responds, I'm your wife. I'm the greatest good you'll ever get, right? <laughs> Right? Amen. That's a little nugget for the husband. That's what I've been learning as a husband. Um, but this, the, scene, the scene goes on, and he, you know, ends up going to fight the villain and do all that stuff. Now, I, I bring that, that story up because I think, though it's a kid's movie, it kind of highlights a fundamental aspect of being human, right? Like, our actions are fueled by ultimately what we believe is good in our heart, right? In that moment, Frozone, I'm sure he loved his wife, but... He understood that I can't go on a date with my wife if there's no world to date in, right? His ultimate good fueled his actions. 
And as we're looking at wisdom, I really want us to understand that our ultimate good needs to be fueled by God, that God being the author of what is good needs to be the epicenter of how we interact with wisdom. Right? This goes for any attribute of God, love, kindness, patience. These are all things that originally stem back to God. That's why we pursue it. We don't just do it because it benefits us, even though it does, and I'm going to get into that. But we pursue it because ultimately that's what we were made to do. We were made to reflect God. We can't start and begin to build wisdom or true wisdom if we don't start with the gospel or we don't start with God at the center. We see this in Proverbs 1. I know next week I think Pastor Gio is going to talk about it. But Proverbs 1, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Right? The fear of the Lord. That word fear is better translated into an acknowledgement that God is first and foremost. He's the alpha. He's the, he's the omega. So I can't begin to start learning or becoming wise if I don't start with him because he's the author of wisdom. You see this in Proverbs 3. It was through wisdom that the Lord founded the foundations of the earth. The world that we live in, its complexities, its, the way things seem to work out is made in wisdom. But not just any wisdom, the wisdom of God. So as we study wisdom, we have to start with God as our foundation. Looking at this passage, um, there's a couple things that kind of pop out immediately um, to me. And one of the first things is that there is fruit or blessing in seeking after what is good, right? The idea that you sow and you will reap harvest if you sow in the right way. Right? Now, this isn't a, 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 a case for the, God, for the prosperity gospel or a case for karma, but just how God has set up the world that we live in. The idea that if you seek after what is good, you will obtain, you'll likely obtain more favorable outcomes. Right? We get that. That's not something that's, that's foreign to us. Where I feel like we get tripped up and where I want to make my first point today is that what's good for us oftentimes is con- inconvenience for us. Right? The seeking of what is good is oftentimes inconvenience of us. And what I want to argue and spur you on for today is that wisdom is pursuing after what is good despite the inconvenience. Most of us in this room can attest that, you know what, what's good for me oftentimes appear, doesn't appear in the sweetest forms. Right? For example, being healthy. If you go on Instagram, there are a trillion pages on how to do a back squat, how to be healthy, how to curl, how to drink, right? Nobody makes an Instagram page on how to be unhealthy, right? We all want something, this, this thing that's good to be healthy, right? But being healthy is not easy. It's not easy when you have a kid and you work a nine to five and you get home and you're tired. The only time to go to the gym is 5 a.m. Then it, it gets tough, right? It's hard to commit to something good like being healthy because it's oftentimes inconvenient for us. We see this in our relationships, in our marriages. You know what? I want to be a better spouse. I want to love my wife or my husband better. So I'm going to do these things that they like, and I'm going to get this thing. But then they don't end up liking it. So now I'm like, why did I get this? It was a waste of my time, right? Like, we've been there. And then you get frustrated because you're like, I did all this, and I was, I'm trying to do what's good, and it's not getting me anywhere, right? Or it's just hard because... Loving you or, or trying to seek after good may mean that I have to die to myself a little more and kind of, right? It's inconvenient. It's not easy. 
Seeking after what is good is sometimes going to call us to live uncomfortable lives. This is a nuance. We see this in the life of Christ, right? God, Jesus sitting on the throne, knowing what he's going to have to do, sitting in heaven, comes down to die for people, to, to be spit at and mocked at. Why? All for the, for the good, for, for God's good, for pursuing after what God wants, but ultimately for our good because he loves us, right? He, he shows us what it means to pursue after what is good despite inconvenience. Christ was committed to what is good to the point of death. He knew that, you know what? I want to I follow after what my father wants. I'm going to pursue after what is good, even if it means I'm dying, because at the end of the day, that's the greatest good. That's wisdom. That's true wisdom. The wisdom of pursuing after what is good will call us to live or will put us in uncomfortable situations. But our definition of what is good cannot simply be based off of what is convenient for us, right? Our definition of of seeking after good has to be tied to ultimately reflecting Christ. Because then it's like, you know what, I understand that I am going to have times where I'm going to have to do what is good, and it's going to be hard. But I know that Jesus did the same thing, and he laid that foundation for me of how I'm supposed to live. The second point I want to bring up is that the pursuit of wisdom is a commitment to diligence. The foundation of wisdom literature is ultimately bound up in how you understand diligence and how that will affect the fruit of your labor. All over scripture you see how diligence is important, especially in pertaining to your spiritual health. We see this in 2 Peter 1.10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The fruit of wisdom is found in diligence. We, won't, we can't benefit from the pursuit of wisdom if we're not diligent. I think what makes diligence such a, a, a hard thing to essentially commit to is that in those times when we need to be diligent or we're being diligent, we go so long and there's just no, like, incentive. Like, there's nothing good that's happening. So it's like you're pursuing after this thing, you're doing what is right, and it's just like nothing. It's like, why am I doing this? I remember um, in college, I ran track, I ran Division I track and field, and honestly, it was one of the most fun times of my life. It was, it was just me and my best friends just acting a fool, right? Um, it was, and if you were to ask me what was, I guess, my favorite part, I would say the workouts, right? And I say that because I got to a point where these workouts, this diligence that I was doing was building in me something beyond and beyond a medal, beyond something that a medal could give me, right? I remember this one specific workout. So we had to do this workout where we had to run hills, right? And these aren't just any normal hills. These are 200-meter hills. If you don't know how far 200 meters is, it's a track, and then it's just half of that. So we had to run these hills on asphalt, and I'm, I kid you not, the incline is like 120. Like, it's, it's, you know, I don't know geometry, but the incline was crazy. So... <laughs> 
we're running these hills. I remember this one day, me, Kleso, Daryl, we're all there. We were in the first group. We're running these hills, and we do rep one, right? Oh, by the way, you got to do the hills in a certain amount of time. You got to do it under 28 seconds. So we're doing these hills, right? Rep one, we're running. Ah, finish it. Rep two, we go. Ah, I'll finish it. All right. Right? Rep three hits, and you're like, okay, my butt kind of hurts. It's, I don't think I could go, but you, like, you're in it. You're in it. Rep four, ah, okay, I feel it. Rep five, you, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I want to do track anymore. Like, you're feeling it, right? So remember this day, we're on rep five. My coach is there. We had a recruit there that day. And it starts just pouring down rain. And I'm like, yo, this is like a Batman movie. Like, I'm exhausted. It's gloomy. Some people are throwing up. It's just, it's intense. And my coach, he goes, yo. And we're like, oh, my gosh, what? He goes, I know what you guys are thinking right now. You think that this is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. And I'm like, yeah, it is the hardest thing I ever have to do. <laughs> and he goes, this isn't the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. The hardest thing you'll ever have to do is when it's 3 a.m., your wife is tired and the baby is crying and you got to get up and get up and get up and keep changing that baby and you got to be there for your kid when you're tired, exhausted. And I was like, what do you mean by that? At first, I was a little confused, but then it hit me what he was trying to communicate to me. Like how I respond to the current adversity will show itself in other places in my life. Right? When we commit to diligence, God actually takes that, that our commitment of diligence and builds in a spiritual endurance. Right? So that moment of me on the hill, though it's like, yeah, I'm building my legs for, to compete, but really I was building my mind for life because there's going to be times when it's hard and I could decide, you know what, I could give up. Or I could say, no, this is something good. I'm going to be diligent. It's in being diligent where God prepares us and molds us to be more like him, right? He builds in us spiritual grit or, for better words, steadfastness, right? It's through diligence that God starts to build in us steadfastness, and which is also where I would like to argue that is that's the true favor that we find in diligently seeking after good. Because if I could be honest, everybody who was in that workout group you know, well, I won a championship and a close won a championship. But a couple of us, we won championship, but not everybody won a championship or a, a won an event or whatever it may be, right? They all, everybody in that group, we were diligently seeking after what is good. We were doing what we had to do, right? But all of us went on to get married. And that, that piece of diligent, that hardship and that way how we had to respond to hardship, we carried with us into our marriage and we had to carry with us into our marriage into how we live our life, right? Because sometimes you're diligent and it's like, you know, I'm not getting the fruit that I want. But what I want to argue is that God actually is building in us a fruit that is a lot better than just a monetary reward, but it's building in us character. He's forming us into a person. I feel like a lot of us, when it comes to being diligent, will... We'll do it and we'll, you know, we'll pursue after it. And it's like, like I said before, we see no fruit, right? Maybe this is in your marriage. Maybe this is in your friendships. Like you've been with this friend, this person for forever. And you just want to like, you know, like you're trying to be consistent, be diligent to be a good friend. Or you're trying to love your spouse well. And it's just, 
there's no fruit. And you get discouraged, and then what usually happens is we say, you know what, what I'm doing is actually not good, or what I'm doing is not worth it. Maybe this pursuing of godliness, it's overrated. It's not worth it. What's the point? If this is you today, I want to first encourage you and say you're not alone, right? We've all felt that feeling before. The second thing I want to do is say that God is not ignoring that feeling. He's aware, and he actually cares about that feeling, right? So much to the point that he, he tells Paul to write Galatians 6, 9, right? To not lose heart, to not get weary in doing good, right? This is Paul talking to the people of Galatia, and if you read Scripture, every time Paul is writing to the church, they're going through it. They're, something's going on. They're doing something crazy, right? And there are probably people there that's like, yo, I've been pursuing after God, and we just got exiled. Like, we're being persecuted. We're on the run. Like, we just went through all this. Like, what's the point of this? And Paul's trying to encourage the people. He says, yo, don't grow weary in doing good. There is fruit. There is good. And continuously, like, your actions don't go in vain. Right? And a lot of us, we feel that way. It's like, why am I doing this? But I want to let you know that, first and foremost, your actions, it's bigger than a result. It's ultimately glorifying God, number one. The second is that a lot of times the fruit that we get, we may not even see, right? We may not even be there to experience the fruit that, that our diligence of our labor. For example, Paul, the person who's writing this scripture, this is the dude, he was diligent to the point. They threw him in jail. They threw him in prison. I'm not talking about like today's prison. I'm like a dungeon prison, like on something from Skyrim. Like he was in prison, right? But he was still being diligent and good following the, the way of the Lord, He reminded the people that their work is not in vain and that they should remain diligent. When we're not diligent, we miss out on what God is doing, right? I think there's a lot of times that God is, he's, God is always doing things, but we, we're, we're pursuing after what is good, we're staying diligent, but then we're like, you know what, this is, this isn't, this isn't worth it, right? I think I go back to Paul. Had Paul just say, you know what? I could just go back to um, persecuting Christians. I, I had a good, I was getting paid good. Life was a little easier, right? I'm sure he had it set up better, right? But had he done that, he would not be responsible for writing one-third of the New Testament, right? A, a fruit that now we all get to, to receive and benefit off of, right? Obviously, God in his providence, he would still find a way, but... When you're not diligent, you, you miss out. You miss out on what God is doing. My third and final point that I want to spur us on to is that the call of wisdom is to pursue what is good with integrity, which calls us to be conscious of our desires. So I kind of mentioned this before, but a lot of times when we look at wisdom literature, it's kind of like, okay, let me just get the knowledge, let me apply it, right? And we kind of assume, okay, excuse me, our heart or where our desires don't play a, a major role in how we pursue after wisdom. What I want to argue with this last point is that it's actually the opposite, right? What we desire in our hearts will dictate what we treasure and ultimately seek after. Where I feel like we tend to fall into trouble is that 
we kind of ignore or not aware of the desires that are happening in our heart. If you can, turn with me to James 1, um, verse 13. I think James does a good, t- a good job of kind of painting this picture of where, how the heart is really behind a lot of the issues or a lot of the things we put ourselves through or go through. James 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So James is painting this picture that, you know, a lot of what you guys are going through or doing is because in your heart you desire evil. Or in your heart, you're not, there's, there's a lack of godliness. Like, it's actually your desires that's leading you into these situations. Not God. Oh, God, why, why am I going through this? Why are you putting me through this? But it's actually not God. It's your own desires. Right? And I think what happens is we're not aware of how our desires is actually shaping our actions. So, like I said before in college, well, I didn't say this before, but I went to a Christian school, a Christian university. And... It was very interesting. Um, I don't come from a, my house is not a Christian home, but it was very interesting being there for many reasons. Um, And something I started seeing there was that people tend to almost blame God for their own desires. So the funniest example of that would be I had a homie. He was dating this girl, and he was like, man, God told me to break up with her. And I was like, okay. He's like, yeah, man, God, you know, I think I just feel in my spirit, God is saying, like, we need to just part ways. You know, they do this thing. And I was like, huh. And then the next day, I see him with this other girl, and I said, the Lord told you. <laughs> right? And it's like, if he was being honest, it wasn't God. To, I mean, like, sure, in God and his providence, you know, whatever. But it really wasn't that God was telling her to break up with this girl. It was that he liked somebody else. He desired somebody else, right? And I think for us, we, we tend to, like, inadvertently ignore what our true desires are. Or we seek something in the name of good when really, like, our desire is not that. I think in the last couple, maybe decades, there's been this, like, dysphoria of people leaving the church, right? A lot of them are millennials, people, you know, just leaving the church. And a lot of the, the people I talked to, whether I was in college here, wherever, a lot of them were like, you know what, I just want to find freedom. I want to seek after freedom. I want freedom, 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 right? Which freedom is the ideally is something good, right? You want to be free, that's good. Now, I think what happens is that you start seeking after freedom outside of God, and it actually isn't freedom. It's actually bondage. Because freedom isn't the absence of things, but it's really the direct, it's, it's walking in the direction that you are made to be. You are made, you are called for. 
that's true freedom. And yeah. If we aren't careful with what we seek in our heart, we will inadvertently seek things in the name of wisdom when really our heart is rooted in sin. Right? We saw this with the Pharisees. These are people who knew everything. Like they knew the Torah, Shabbat, whatever you call it. They knew everything top to bottom. But their, their acquire of knowledge led them to be blind to seeing the person who their knowledge was all about. They gained all this knowledge, and it was for nothing. And that's because their desire for that knowledge was rooted in sin. It was rooted in inflation of self. It wasn't rooted in actually knowing God, but it was rooted in themselves. We have to be conscious of how our desires can shape us. Jesus kind of paints this picture again when he talks about um, why it's hard for a rich man to go into heaven. Um, and when I was a kid, I would be in Haitian church and they'd read that and I'd be like, I don't understand what's going on. Um, and as I got older, I really, it's, it started to hit me that God doesn't actually have an issue with being rich. There's plenty of believers who, there's Job, he was wealthy. There's Solomon, there's plenty of people who have wealth and favor and fruit and that's not the problem. The problem is that desire to be rich is actually a snare. It's a snare to sin. Because what happens when you're like, you know what, I want a desire to be rich is really you're asking, you're saying, I want sufficiency outside of God. I don't need God. I wanna, if, if I have everything I need, why would I need God? I'm rich. I have all the car. If I lack in this, I can buy it. If I lack in that, I can get it. Right? We have desires that we may think, okay, this is good. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? And with, with being rich, I'm sure there's people who they maybe grew up in a, a really difficult situation. They're like, you know what? I want to be rich. I want to take care of my people and my family. And it's like, that's a noble task. But you have to be careful because that desire can put you in a snare. We have to be cognitive of how our desires drive our actions. If we approach wisdom as this game of knowledge acquisition and neglect the state of our heart, we tend to resemble, or not tend to, we will resemble the Pharisees more than Jesus. As I close, I really want us to understand that wisdom is not just a means of getting more control. It's not just a pathway to getting an easier life, though those are some results of seeking after wisdom. It's not, that's not it, right? If you're a believer, ultimately, it should lead you to godliness. It should lead you to be more like God. The fullness of wisdom is found in the person of God through Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate source of wisdom. So when we look at wisdom or when we look at any attribute of God, we're not isolating it and saying, how can I make this benefit me? But really, we want to approach it as, you know what, how can I be more like Christ? If you're here today 
and you know, you pursue after wisdom and you're like, you know, I want to be wise. I want to get my life right. All those things are good. They're noble. But outside of Christ, they're empty. Right? These are things that were made through Christ. These are things that can only fully be achieved through Christ. And, yeah, you can, like, gain some cool knowledge, some good, you know, some good nuggets to kind of help you, to help you progress in life. But that's not going to fill the void. That's not, that's, you have a, a lack, a sufficiency that only Christ could fill. So if that is you, I urge you to find a pastor, to find somebody here to speak to me, speak to Pastor Chip, because at the end of the day, it's not about how much knowledge you can get, right? We saw that with the Pharisees. They had all the knowledge and they missed it. But it's, it's that knowledge, the word is really to point us to the true word, the living word, that's Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you, God, that you are the ultimate source of what it means to be wise, that you are the ultimate good, that, Jesus, you showed us what it means to be wise. You showed us what it means to seek after good diligently through, through inconvenience, through difficult circumstances with integrity. God, I pray that the words that I said can ultimately just drive us all closer to you, that the things that we seek, we can examine if they're truly what they're really founded in, and that at the end of the day, everything we do can be founded in looking more like you, God. To your son's name I pray. Amen.